Good morning to each of you. It's always a delight to uh, have this opportunity. As Dennis said, the B team does suffice sometime, and we appreciate uh, your putting up with us sometime as we continue our ministry here. I'm thankful for Marathon. I'm thankful for all the people that uh, make it up and how this group in particular cares for uh, each of the members that uh, we have in our, our class. I was reading this week, as I do uh, quite often, uh, things on the internet just to keep up with what is going on. And so I, I uh, had a sign that came up. I want to share a couple of things with you before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, and this sign is always uh, got a message on it. It's outside of a veterinary clinic in Westminster, Maryland. And so, needless to say, as a sign at a vet clinic, it has information about pets. So, listen to a couple of these. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to see it, a chihuahua 500 miles away will bark at it. <laughs> Apologies to chihuahua lovers and owners. The first person to hear a parrot talk was probably not okay for several days afterwards. <laughs> In fact, I, I began looking up uh, parrots that have talked, and it, that goes back to like 500 B.C., where people actually trained parrots to uh, communicate information. You dog lovers, and you carry your dogs to the vets, and... They're given a prescription, and it's a small pill. This is dedicated to them. My dog will eat anything until you put a pill in it. Then he becomes Gordon Ramsay. So, <laughs> yes. This one has nothing to do with pets. I like it, though. It amazes me how much the word exercise and extra fries sound alike. I think that's my favorite. Exercise is good. Yes, the fries are better. That's exactly right. Uh, the inventor of the doorbell did not own a dog. I, I, I believe that's true. All right, ladies. If you lose a sock in the dryer, it returns as Tupperware lid that doesn't fit any containers. <coughs> uh, I've heard about that. <clears throat> and then this testimony, I accidentally used the dog shampoo. Now I'm feeling like such a good girl. <laughs> exercise feels great unless you compare it to not exercising. That's my favorite. And then this one, you know what procrastination is. Procaffeinating is the tendency to not do anything until you've had your coffee. So, and then this is my favorite of all. Dogs prepare you for handling babies. Cats prepare you for handling teenagers. <laughs> That's great. So, so true. Have we owned a cat? We did own a cat one time. He didn't make it, though. <laughs> Our dogs lived a lot longer. I guess we probably did a better job with taking care of the dogs. 
Well, let's take a moment of silent prayer, as we normally do when I speak, to make sure that uh, we are filled with God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible is clear. In fact, we are commanded as believers in Christ to consistently be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, if there's something in our lives that you know might limit that, it would be a sin or harboring antagonism or hatred or anything that might go against what God would have us to do in peace. So uh, the Bible is clear that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> so with that in mind, let's take a moment of silent prayer, and then I will say a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to assemble together here at this place today. We're thankful, Father, for your faithfulness to us, your love of us, your guiding of us. Help each one of us to see that even in our stage of life, you have a perfect plan and a perfect will for each one of us. Help us to adhere to the principles of your word, to see the importance of consistently growing by means of grace in order that in everything that we say and think and do, we might magnify the name of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you realize it or not, but during World War II, <clears throat> back about 1942-43, uh, a lot of German prisoners of war were sent to the United States. And the state that had the most prisoners of war from Germany was Texas. As many as 50,000 prisoners of war from Germany, or the German army, I might say. It could have been Austrians. It could have been uh, even the French opposition. There were a lot of prisoners. And, of course, those prisoners uh, had the opportunity to have it pretty good to come all the way from Germany during the war and spend the rest of the war uh, living in the United States. Now, the way they did it back then, in fact, uh, there was a prisoner of war camp close to the place that uh, I lived for 50 years in Ruston, Louisiana. It was one of the largest prisoner of war camps in the United States, housing as many as 4,500 uh, German prisoners at one time. So uh, that was common in Texas as well. Uh, and a lot of those individuals, when they got here, they had the opportunity to uh, hear the gospel. And, of course, some had been believers already, but uh, they actually learned and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's true <clears throat> that even in Europe, uh, as, as uh, decadent as Europe was during War II and after and is today, kind of like we are, I guess, uh, during that time, <clears throat> a lot of the soldiers already knew what their punishment was going to be who were prisoners of war. And being those soldiers, they knew they were facing a firing squad or death by hanging. And so knowing that was going to happen, a lot of those individuals believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, some went to the gallows saying Scripture because they understood that their lives generally had been a waste up to the point they said, I am believing in Christ, accepting Him as my Savior. And so uh, then those individuals, after the war, uh, many of them went back to Germany. <clears throat> and going back to Germany, they realized how good they had it in a prisoner of war camp in the United States, and they came back, a lot of them, and settled in the United States. 
And so that was not an uncommon phenomenon after the war. <clears throat> but the fact is, God always had a will <clears throat> and a purpose for their lives. So you think about all the way from Germany to the United States, heard the gospel of Christ, became believers, and many of them great believers. Uh, one of the guys uh, who came back, and I do not remember names after 20 years of reading stories, but he had come back, and he had come back and became a meteorologist in Wisconsin, was seen on TV every night. And, and that was not an uncommon, again, phenomenon. And so <clears throat> that plan for those individuals at that particular time was God's perspective on thing and God's will for each one of them. And so as a believer in Christ, we sit here today and we realize that God has a perfect plan and will for each one of us. And you know part of what that is. I don't think we ultimately know everything there is to know about God's plan for us uh, because really we're human. And God, fortunately, God realizes that. And as a believer in Christ, he does have a little sympathy toward each one of us. There are several things, however, that we can say with affirmation that are the will of God. And there are certain things we can say with confidence are not the will of God. I wrote down five or six of each one of these, but just listen to a couple of these. Uh, number one, it's God's will for every person to believe in Christ. But as many as receive Christ, he gives them the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. You can book it. And of course, he wants us, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is God's will. You can book that. Thirdly, he wants us to be renewed in our thinking, according to uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, so that over a period of time, as students of the Word of God, under the ministry of a person with the gift of pastor-teacher, you can grow by means of grace. That is God's will. And then, of course, the Bible specifically says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, your sanctification. And of course, sanctification, and I think, I think Jonathan touched on every part of that today. He talked about believing in Christ. He talked about being in heaven or in the millennial reign of Christ, ultimate sanctification, positional, ultimate, and then experiential, just living every day. And so that is what God wants for us, to live through the exigencies we face, ultimately with his viewpoint. Just think of it, every thought, every motivation, every decision that you make, uh, that each one of us makes, was motivated by respect and love for the will of Christ the will, and the will of God. And then, of course, he wants us as believers to grow in grace. Uh, grow by means of grace and a knowledge of Christ our Savior. So those are givens. That's not something you have to pray about even because those are givens in Scripture for us to do these things. But then there are certain things that are said not to be the will of God. And just four or five of those. <clears throat> Number one, retribution. Somebody, I know none of y'all have ever been mistreated. Uh, uh, of course, that's not true. All of us in some way, somebody has... Uh, done something, says something about you that may not have been pleasant. That's life. But are we to return that favor? And of course, the answer is no. Is that difficult? 
Yes, it's difficult not to be uh, to have the payback attitude. And then there is antagonism toward others. There might be fear. Any fears in our lives? Yes. Any worries in our lives? Yes. But those are things that we are to check at the door, the door of Christianity. God has not given us in First Timothy the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound thinking. That's what he's given us. And so he doesn't want us involved in fear, worry, anxiety. Do not worry about anything, but in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so let's turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 13, and look at a couple of principles. And we really want to look at what to do, what is God's will, when you don't know God's will. So that's kind of our topic today. What is... What is God's will for you when you don't know what it is? You say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, <clears throat> well, you can leave because we know <clears throat> all of us have faced situations. And we've said, and you've probably said in prayer, Lord, I don't know what to do. You're going to have to show me. And so that's what we want to look at today. But let's first of all start in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Back in the day whenever... I had to memorize scripture. Of course, I memorized King James Version. That was, that's what you did. So you'll hear me quote them every now and then. And so when I say thee and thou and whatever, then that's the King James Version. But there are several, and I don't use that, but I refer to it occasionally. I generally use New American. But uh, the fact is, King James has some words I still like. And one of them is in this passage. It's not in my passage. But I want to tell you how I memorized it. Notice what it says here in 6.13. Do not go on presenting. Anybody have King James here today? Oh. <laughs> Steve, you got that? Yeah, <laughs> of course you do. Yielding. Yeah, I still like that word. Because when you when you drive in some place, or uh, my dad told me a time or two, you have yielded to temptation. And he meant, man, I deferred to that temptation rather than what he said. That was not a good thing. And so I still like that word, and we still yield today. We yield to the testing of the old sin nature, the sins of the old sin nature. And then, of course, uh, or we can yield to God. And this is telling us that we as believers need to have as our top priority yielding to God and his plan for us. And so, 6.13, do not go on yielding the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves to God. Defer to Him. Defer to His plan. Defer to what He has for you. And that doesn't happen overnight, in case you haven't noticed in our Christian way of life. Of course we have. It, it takes a while. We finally get to the place where you think, well, maybe 50% of the time I'm getting it right. Maybe more than that. I hope it is. Well, this principle of yielding unto God is very important. And the mechanics of that, the how-to of that, is what we want to look at today. Uh, we can't let the worries, the fears, the anxieties associated with life destroy and deter us from yielding to the, to the person and plan of God and Jesus Christ in particular. And so, that being said, let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11. Turn back one book. 
And we're going to look at an experience that Peter had. There were episodes in the New Testament because uh, the, New, the New Testament had not been written. The episode we're reading about today in Acts uh, had not been put in Scripture. Peter tells us about it, uh, he, and that's what uh, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 is what we theologically would call retrospective exposition. He's going back in his memory and recalling what had happened in chapter 10 and giving it to us in chapter 11, although, of course, written by the Apostle Luke. So notice in chapter 11, Peter's telling us about going on a mission. Now, he did not know what to do. He didn't know. He wasn't for sure this was the thing to do. And so he had to come to a conclusion simply based on the facts of doctrinal information he had in his soul. And in the process, he gives us a way to help us deal with those things where we don't know what to do, don't know what God's will is. Well, uh, as a believer in Christ, keep in mind that you have experienced those things as well. And as we look at them, then consider these seven or eight steps are seven or eight concepts that are instrumental in our being able to handle what we don't know about. Uh, so let's look and see what happened in chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> Typical church here. I'd love to set in this church meeting that he tells us about. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. There was, in effect, a Gentile Pentecost. They weren't sure about that. Peter wasn't sure, but he wasn't sure whether or not he should go minister to the Gentiles. And so uh, he had to make a decision based on information, and he didn't have all the information. But the fact is, we have to use the information we have. We have to go on truth. And that's what Peter is looking for. He's looking for truth. All right, so they were, they were, as you'll note here, throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. Just like the church Jonathan talked about today, there are always going to be people in the church that like what you say. There are going to be those who are neutral to what you say. And there are going to be those that say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so that's what Peter was dealing with. But he's telling them, give me time. Let me recount this experience for you. And in recounting the experience, you'll see where I'm coming from. And of course, he made the right decision. But initially, Peter did not know what to do. So what did he do? Well, let's look. So he began, uh, he said in verse uh, 4, Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence. Peter was organized in his thinking. That's very helpful in making decisions. But then he goes on to say, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, and we could go back and read all of chapter 10, and of course somebody came down there to get him, and he would go to Caesarea. But here it is. I was in the city of Joppa. The first thing it says he was doing was praying. That's a great start. When you don't know what to do, one of the best things you can do is just ask the Lord. And, to, and you, you got to be frank. I don't know what to do, Lord. You're going to have to show me this. Because there's no specific scripture that I can go to that says, Peter, thou shalt go to uh, Caesarea. There's nothing in there. 
Not knowing what to do, he was, took this very humble position of asking God, praying. And that's what we have to do. When the first thing that should come to our thinking when you don't know, when I don't know what to do, is, Lord, help. God knows your needs. He knows what you have need of as a believer. He knows your problem. He knows your solution before you know you've got a problem. He's got it. All right? So let's go to the person that's got it. And that's what Peter's attitude was. And so, obviously, praying, as important as it is, is never to be done in conflict with Scripture. We would never do that. I'm sure Peter would not have done that as, as either. Uh, but the Bible tells us, hold your fingers here and, and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And I, I think about this verse all the time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Okay, we don't know what to do. Here's the first thing you should consider. Let us therefore... Draw near with confidence. Oh, I like that. Not confidence in your ability to handle the situation because you don't know what it is. You don't know how to handle it. But it says, let us draw near or approach confidently in God. See, confidence to the throne of grace. And that's what praying is. And notice what we will receive that we might receive mercy. Mercy is God's grace in action on your behalf. You're asking, all right, Lord, I need your action on my behalf. And so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help when you don't know, when in need. And so that's the first thing Peter did. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and see if we can come up with an answer over a period of time. Now, the Lord, in this instance, didn't take a shillelagh and hit Peter on the head with it and say, all right, here's the answer. No, it doesn't work like that. It hasn't, has never worked like that for me. Now, you may, it may have happened to you where something happened and immediately you had an answer. That's great. But generally, when you don't know, it's going to take a little patience on our part to wait on the Lord because, after all, as we're studying on Thursday mornings, God's timing is perfect. He's never in a hurry. He's always on time. And so with that attitude, you can ask, and God will reveal. So guidance through prayer, turning it over to the Lord. And the thing is, do we leave it there? I don't know. That's my problem. I'll leave it. I'll go there, and 10 minutes later, it's back in my mind. I may be thinking about it. So I may have to say something to the Lord like 25 times that day. But God is patient, and I am very thankful for that. Uh, it says in Psalm 55, 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And of course, in 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your cares on him, for he careth for you. All your cares. You say, well, some of mine are pretty petty and pretty small. Doesn't matter. That was a 100% offer from God. You can give it to the Lord. Leave it there. Now, I'm preaching to self. Always bear that in mind. When any minister stands to talk, they'll, they'll be the first to tell you that that passage has worked them over 25 times before it's gotten to you. And that's, that's the way it is. All right, so guidance through prayer. And then notice now with me in verse 6. 
Secondly, when I had fixed my gaze, and that's a way of saying he considered. When I considered, it says, upon it. And of course, there was a, there was a vision he saw. And a vision was seen three times. And that's not the goal of the study is to look at the vision, but to see what Peter did. He considered. He considered everything he was seeing. And in seeing that, he was going to make a decision based on the facts. And so praying is fine. And that's what we should do. That's what we are commanded to do. But then God gives information in, in ways other than just um, something intuitively coming into your mind. He gives us information, and in giving that, we are to consider the circumstance in light of what we already know. And that's exactly what Peter did. So, number one, he prayed, considered he, he used information he already had. But then notice thirdly, in verse 7, I also heard a voice saying, heard a voice. Now, in our day and time, we, that doesn't happen to us. We have the completed canon of Scripture. Every one of us, if you want to know what God thinks, uh, we have the mind of Christ. We have, and we are to use that. And so when it says here, I heard a voice, that's Peter in effect saying, I'm going to take the word of God that I have in my soul already that I know, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it in such a way to make a decision based on what I know. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to consider all the facts. And then I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember those things I've already heard, the doctrines I've already been taught. And that's exactly, of course, what he did. So he was guided through into the Word of God. And it says in verse 9 also, And a voice from heaven answered a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. So again, it's the Word of God. God is talking to him, not like he talks uh, through his Word to us today. But remember, Peter didn't have a New Testament. He had promises from the Old Testament. The first book to be written, probably, theologians think, it was about 45 A.D. Peter is living in, say, 33, 34, 35, 40 A.D. So it's at least five years before the book of James, probably, uh, was written. So he had all he had to go on was the Old Testament. And then, of course, the beauty of it was he had spent three years with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty big step up, I think. So uh, he was trying to remember all that had been communicated to him through the word in verses 7 through 10. I heard a voice. And then we get down to verse 11. Fourthly, let us note that he received guidance, not just through prayer, not just through considering, and not just through the word, when it's something you don't know about. But notice it says, verse 11, And behold, at that moment, he's praying, in chapter 11, verse 11, At that moment, three men appeared before the house in which we were staying. So he had to consider uh, the concept of providential circumstances. And that's happened to all of us where we're praying about something, praying about something, and then as it happens, then something physically happens out there that will say, that's from the Lord. I asked for an answer, and here it is. He's given it to me. Providentially, three men are standing at the door, having been sent to me from Caesarea. 
And so he took that as a sign. Now, obviously, we have to be very careful about that. Uh, you don't want to get into signs and emotionalism apart from Scripture. And so uh, when we go into providential circumstances, always remember that it must be based on the concept of what God is trying to show us in Scripture as well. And so we want to test those circumstances. They should never conflict with statements and doctrines, principles of the Word of God. And so, and then you go to the Old Testament, and you'll see people asking for a sign. Uh, you remember the very famous story of Gideon. He asked for a sign. And, and I guess that's okay. But as you grow in your Christian way of life, and you can consider and think and remember the Word of God, you're less likely to go there. But he asked, God performed. If that's what it takes for God to get his message across to you, he can do it. And so we should take it for what it is. It's a very wonderful concept. And so, but notice in verse 12, and that was the end of it. In verse 12, he continues, And the Spirit told me. He understood, uh, that is, Peter understood the principle, the concept of the filling of the Holy Spirit and applying scriptural doctrines from the content of his soul in order to uh, do what God wanted him to do. And so we have through the Holy Spirit, verse 12 says, and the Spirit, I think it says in the King James, bade me go, told me to go, with them, without misgivings. And so without misgivings, through the Spirit, he clearly understood he should have no qualms about going with these individuals to minister to the Gentiles. And so he had that sense, and that's what will happen. And you know, you've lived it. As you've prayed, as you've applied Scripture, as you've had providential circumstances come your way, and, and you will know, you'll have a sense of peace about it. And that's exactly what he had. He had a sense of peace without misgiving. He understood that this was, what God, was God's will. And so he was guided through uh, the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 13, Notice that he was guided also through the concept of comparing one exigency to another. He knew about the Pentecost revolution, so to speak, among the Jews, how they had received God the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But then he heard this message about the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, and so he, he connected the dots. He compared. And so in comparing that, we can understand God's will. And he says in verse 13, and reported to us how it happened to the Gentiles was how it had happened to the Jews, the same way. And so he reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. It's getting clear. He says, I know we've always said we can't, we're not going to the, to the Gentiles, but this is a clear indicator from all that he's put together that God's will for him is to go to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what it, and we're glad, by the way. I am glad that the message came to us non-Jews about the Savior of the world and the power of living the Christian way of life. And so in verse 14, and this Peter shall speak words to you by which you will be saved 
you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it did upon us at the beginning. He compared point A to point B. I've got it. Yeah, I know what to do. I didn't know what to do, but God, through a series of steps, has shown me exactly what I need to do as a believer in Christ and his representative on earth. But then look lastly, verse 16. <clears throat> and I remembered the word of the Lord. So he remembered something that Jesus had taught when he was on earth. And how did that happen? Well, that's the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised in uh, John chapter 14, I will send to you the Comforter, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. And so that was the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help him remember Scripture. So Scripture memory applied to this circumstance allowed him as a believer to draw the correct conclusion about what the will of God is. And that's where we want to get to. So each one of us as believers in Christ, think about it, pray, consider, consider all the facts, the Word of God, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, providential circumstances, and then Scripture memory. We've got the key. The, the question is, will we use the key to unlock the door? Well, let's close out by turning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> and notice an Old Testament individual who really applied this. Hebrews chapter 11, let's look in verse 24. Of course, Moses, I mean, if you were to ask uh, people, and, and I remember back in university whenever I had a history teacher too, and the question came up about who were some of the greatest and most brilliant, most wonderful people of all time. And I had a professor um, who would put Moses in the category. He was not a believer. He, in fact, he was an atheist. But he did understand parts of the Bible to be true. And so he classified Moses and Paul, by the way, as two of the most brilliant, capable people in the history of the world. Well, I can't disagree with that. I mean, we've got a very brilliant man here. This was a man highly respected in Egypt, adopted into the family of the Pharaoh. You've got somebody here who had the potential to uh, be king of Egypt, pharaoh of Egypt, we would say. And so he had great opportunity, but he had to make a decision. And he had to make a decision that as a person who understood about the coming Messiah, in his decision, he would lead Egypt, or he would lead this ragtag bunch of complaining people about to leave Egypt. Now he's got his choice the most powerful man in the world, or to lead this group of individuals who, were, who complained from the get-go. As we know, it's a great story. In fact, uh, we need to look at that sometime, at how complaining doesn't get you anywhere. It just, it just gums everything up, makes a mess of things. But let's look at what Moses did. 
Well, it starts with by faith. That's the big key. He could think logically, correctly on the principles of the Word of God, but remember, he had zero Bible. He would write it. He would, as we know, write under the ministry of the Holy Spirit the first five books. And so, but that was already in his thinking. And there was a way to communicate Scripture without the Word of God at that time. As I mentioned in our Thursday Bible class, Job, the oldest book in the Bible, in that particular book, he had no Scripture, but he had great application of Scripture. And so he was being taught through visions, through angels, through the Lord himself. In fact, the last part of Job, there's a conversation between Job and the Lord, and he teaches him. So he was taught somehow that Moses has been taught the principles of the Word of God. And so by faith, that's the greatest starting point you can have. Faith rests, taking God at his word for what he says and leaving it there. He said, leave it with him, cast our burdens upon him. And then it says, when he had grown up, now it's talking physically, but the process should be spiritual as well. And we started point A as believers in Christ. Uh, when I accepted Christ, I knew very I knew some songs that I heard in church, but it was just something I did because everybody else sang those songs. So I started with zero information, but then as we grow over a period of time, we should be able to apply vast amounts of doctrinal information to the circumstances in which we face, that we face ourselves. And so he was growing up, and he had to get to the place where he could lead these people. But you'll remember when he had the opportunity to lead, uh, what did he say to God? He said, I can't do that. And he lacked a little faith there. But he got to the place where eventually, by faith, he was able to carry through on what God wanted him to do. He believed God, and it had been counted to him for righteousness, just as they had for Abraham. He refused. He made a conscious decision not to be a member of the royal family in, in Egypt. He made that decision. Because he was, he was looking at something just beside that immediate decision. And that's true of all of us. When we don't know what to do, we do the one thing we know to do. Turn to the Lord. Trust Him in faith. He will bring it to pass. By faith, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did he choose? He consciously made a decision to go into a very difficult place. He says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment or maltreatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. And so we have to make that choice quite often every day. I mean, there are things that can be set before you on a daily basis that as a believer in Christ may seem appealing, but that's not what God wants us to do. Sin is not God's plan for the believer. Now, we sin, but he, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, thankfully. And that's set aside. So as a believer in Christ, we consciously choose, okay, I can go the sinful way, I can go the human viewpoint way, or I can go the way exactly what God has instructed me to do. So some things you know to do, 
Those are the things we do. The will will be revealed later. And so that's what he did. So what did he consider? What was his mental attitude through this process? Notice what he considered, if you would, in verse 26. He considered, he was thinking, he was thinking doctrinal, biblical viewpoint. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, the moment he could have said yes to the Egyptians to be their pharaoh, not only would he have been the most powerful man in the world, he probably would have become the richest man in the world. Kind of like Elon Musk that was mentioned this morning. He had that option. Now, that's a great temptation, but for Moses it really wasn't because he understood. He was looking past the immediate. He was looking to the point in time when he would stand before Jesus Christ. That's what he was considering. And so always remember that one of our goals is to make decisions on earth with eternal values in view. Because that is where you give an answer. That's where you hear from the greatest person who ever lived on earth, our Lord Jesus Christ, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's no more sweeter words in the Bible than well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what he was thinking about. And so he was seeing the invisible. Notice, in fact, it, it says that. He, uh, verse 26 again, considering the reproach of Christ to greater riches, Christ's greater value, than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his reward. One of the greatest pieces of advice that any of us can have concerning God's will is to look to that day when you stand in front of Jesus Christ. If you make a decision based on that, you're going to get a lot less of them wrong. A lot more of them right, I can tell you that. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt. Now, faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is faith application. He's not just reading the Bible. He doesn't have a Bible. But he's applying what he knows. He's taking it very seriously, applying what he knows. He left Egypt not fearing. Notice he didn't leave with any fear. We can't live our lives in fear. Moses, Moses would never have walked out of Egypt if he had lived his life in fear. He did not leave in fear, fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, we're here for the long haul, we're here to persevere, when things seem like they're going all the wrong way, keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Just keep on looking. Keep on looking. Focus on him. Focus on his plan. Focus on his word. Focus on his person. So that's what he did. He, fearing the wrath of the king, but endured to seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover. He did those things God had told him to do. And in doing that, of course, made a right decision. And the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them as they would leave the land of Egypt. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, the will of God perfectly revealed 
to him and to the Jews who came out, and not just Jews, by the way. There were quite a large number of Egyptians who had accepted uh, the Jewish Messiah and would come out with them. And so uh, he walked through, and those uh, Israelites passed through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. God's will prevails. It prevailed for Moses. It prevailed for a long list of people here in, in Hebrews chapter 11. But what did they all have in common? Their commonality was that they understood God's plan for their lives. They understood that God would never let them down. Now you say, well, you know, I prayed the other day for like a million dollars, and I didn't get anything. I am, well, sure, yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about peace of mind with and faith with or without, in this case, a million dollars. And so are we willing to give a situation that we face? I don't know what to do, but what I do is I apply God's word in the circumstances I do face, and then I will have what I need to effectively lead the Christian way of life. And most importantly, when I stand at the judgment seat, and God and Jesus Christ says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the greatest reward there is. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the provision of understanding your will. And we realize that apart from who you are and your plan for us, we are helpless and hopeless. We're thankful, Father, for the day that we believed in Christ as Savior. We're thankful for the day that your word over a series of decisions was made perspicuous to us so that we can clearly understand the promises and doctrines and principles of your word that you have given to us. Help us to see the importance of being consistent in our intake of your word so that we might glorify the name of Christ in what we say and what we think, what motivates us and what we do. We ask for these blessings in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Thanks, Mike. That was a real blessing. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <clears throat>